Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. In this podcast, I look beyond the easels, the sketchbooks, and the iPads to discover what it means to be an artist. Join me as I speak to other creatives about their journey, as well as reflecting on my own artwork and experiences. Episode 74, Botanical Art and the Perpetual Journal with Lara Call Gastinger. Hi everyone, welcome back. I'll do a few quick updates here, and then we'll jump right into the interview. So I'm working on a uh, couple of commissions. One of them is uh, 11 by 14. I am using that Pentel Graph Gear 1000 in rendering this piece. I will share it at some point. And I'm also including a clutch pencil, which has the two millimeter lead, uh, in both cases using 2B, uh, to try and render some of the larger pieces, larger areas of, uh, of the drawing out. So I'm excited for this. I'm excited to, uh, to share it with you when, once it's complete. So um, yeah, I'm working on a couple of the pieces as well, but I can't really say much about that. Uh, more to come soon. So the other thing I've been doing lately is a weekly live draw on Instagram. So many of you have joined me for that. Uh, the last two weeks I did a meerkat and a butterfly on a echinacea or a purple coneflower. And the meerkat uh, was rendered in pencil and for me, and I did the butterfly with ink and watercolor. And it's just so wonderful doing these live draws because everyone comes in uh, most people are doing uh, the reference that I post. Others are doing their own work, which is fantastic, or just doing whatever and just listening along. And I think that's brilliant. And so for those who are joining along, I'm not asking everyone to do it in the way that I do it. You can choose your medium of choice, whether it be oil or digital or colored pencil or just ink or pencil. Um, it doesn't matter. And the, the whole point is that we have something that we can all do together on a weekly basis and something to look forward to, especially on a Sunday. It's an opportunity to kind of break up the day, maybe get a good mindset going into the week, uh, the week ahead. So it's been great fun. And I'm probably going to do another live event during the week, probably like eight or nine o'clock at night Eastern, which would accommodate the people in Australia. I feel like I'm neglecting <laughs> a whole bunch of followers of the podcast who are in Australia, because 1 p.m. Uh, our time, I think is 1 a.m. their time, and that uh, that's unfortunate on the weekends. So I'm going to try and schedule one during the week to accommodate uh, other people around the world as well. So keep an eye out for that. And I'm also going to try in the next week to do it, uh, the next live draw on YouTube versus Instagram. So with YouTube, I can include the reference photo in the video itself, maybe a shot of me. I don't think we need to see that, but we'll see. And uh, I think it'll be more open to people. I'm not asking anyone to join Instagram. Uh, with YouTube, anyone can watch, and uh, we can still have the comments available. And uh, we'll see. I'll, I'll try it for a week and see what people think. So it'll be a slightly different format on YouTube, but I think that'll work well for this kind of live draw. So I'm still going to post these uh, live events regardless of where they are on Instagram so if you're following me there you'll see a note to say oh go follow Mike here and I will include in the show notes of this specific episode a link to my YouTube channel you can also check it through my Instagram profile it will be the top link in my list of links and you can just follow me and you can click the little bell <laughs> as people say and you'll get notified as I post new content I will post something in advance to say that that's uh, that there is a um, a session coming and we'll just try it and see how it works out 
I, uh, I just don't want to have everything in Instagram, and I just want this to be accessible to more people. So that's my thinking behind it. Hope to see you in a future live draw. So as I mentioned before, I do have a Patreon for uh, both the podcast and my art endeavor. So I just wanted to thank Dana, who's a new Patreon supporter. So I really appreciate your support, and I wanted to thank all the patrons of uh, both the podcast and my work in uh, helping support me as I I move through this journey and uh, trying to share as much back with you as possible. So one of the other things I wanted to talk briefly about was just reference photos. I had a uh, question from Alexander, who's uh, who's based in Australia, asking about reference photos, and and he was wondering, you know, which ones should you use, which ones should you not, and um, I just wanted to quickly talk about reference photos. You know, we had a bit of a conversation back and forth, and the advantage I have, I think, is that I've been taking photographs for years, so I think I have 60, 70,000 photos I've taken. Obviously, I've got a, a family, so a lot of them around that, but I've taken a whack of nature photos. And so I tend to, to lean on those heavily when I'm doing new pieces. And because I'm drawing animals and you know birds, mammals, reptiles, I need to ensure there's a level of accuracy or it's not going to look like what I'm developing. Um, I am adding a bit of imaginative flair to some of my more recent pieces, but I do want to make sure that a lizard looks like a lizard or an iguana looks like an iguana versus an iguana looking like a gecko. So I want to make sure that I have those reasonably accurate. So that's why I use reference photos. I think a lot of artists do. Uh, You may end up mocking them up in Photoshop and rearranging things, and then that ends up being the basis for your piece, which is cool too. And I always use more than one because I like to get different views and incorporate different elements. So I try and use my own reference photos, but I can't always do that because I don't have photos of things like geckos, which I did recently. So there are a few things I do around that. One is I will go to websites like Pixabay or Unsplash, and I'll provide links to both of those in the show notes. And those are sites that allow you to use these photos and there's no copyright tied to them, but they do encourage you to to call out or, or acknowledge the photographer. And there's some wonderful work on both platforms. So if you're looking for something that you want to create and then um, commercialize at some point, just make sure you read the fine print, uh, because I'm not sure that all the photos are at the same level, but it is an opportunity for, for you to get access to reference photos that may allow you to do something more with the piece. So um, I highly recommend going that route versus Pinterest because, you know, we're all creatives, whether you're a visual artist or whether you're a photographer, and you could argue that they're one and the same. But I, I want to be kind to the photographers. They go through a lot of effort to do what they do, and I wouldn't want someone copying my work necessarily without permission. So I ask that, you know, let's respect the fact that these people go through this effort of taking photographs and it's always good to find the origin and you can't always find that through Pinterest. I think if you're, let's say, playing with with an idea or a concept and you're looking at Pinterest and you're, you're just sketching to exercise, I think that's one thing. I think if you're going to start sharing it publicly, then I think that's more problematic and it's, it's especially problematic if you start selling that work because if you start selling it, then you're making a profit off someone else's piece, which may have been the inspiration. And if they're too close in look and in similarity, uh, you're going to run into a problem. And this is not a time when asking for forgiveness is better than asking for permission. So 
Unsplash and Pixabay are great for that. The other thing that you can do is if you find an artist or a photographer, I should say, on Instagram and you love their work, follow them and send them a note. Most photographers will appreciate you considering their work as a subject for a piece that you're working on. And in most cases, what I do is I send back a print of the final piece to the artist as a thank you. And that works out well in many cases. So if you want that opportunity of developing a relationship with another creative, that's a great way to do it. And it means that when you're done, you share it with them, they post it, you get a little bit of recognition uh, under their profile as well. So and don't focus on the people that have, you know, 10, 20 or 100,000 followers. Just look for the good photos, the photos that speak to you, because there may be people out there that have two or 300 followers and are producing incredible photographs. And uh, so just try and focus on the content and not the follower base. And this is an opportunity to kind of network with others at the same time of building your creative portfolio with the work that you're doing. So I hope that's helpful in, in trying to guide people a little bit. When I'm doing my live draws, in most cases, I'm using my own photographs. There will be opportunities where I'm using someone else's, and I'll make a note of that through the live draw as well. But it will be a, a copyright-free experience when I start doing that. So, um, yeah. So the other thing I'm going to be doing finally is trying out acrylics. I will be doing that in the next week. I received a wonderful easel for my birthday. I had a birthday this past weekend. I'm not going to talk about how old I am, but it will come up eventually. You can probably figure it out by listening to previous episodes. Uh, I've got the paints and brushes, which I've had for a while. I had to build a little stand for my Stay Wet palette. And so for me, there is a bit of a a ceremony sometimes around some of the kind of work that I do. If I'm doing pencil, I can do that anywhere. But if I'm doing colored pencil or watercolor, I do like things in a certain setup. So that it is the same with the acrylics. And so I do have an area that I've been kind of creating because I want to be able to work on the acrylics and then shut it down and, you know, get back to it in a day or whatever the case. So I want to make sure that it's not something I have to set up on my desk where I do my day job. And so I have that all set up and I've got a couple of pieces planned. I don't know how this is going to turn out, so I hope you follow along. I'll talk about my experiences probably in the next episode in using acrylics, and maybe I'll show a piece, so we'll see how this goes. But uh, I I love being curious, not just about the mediums that I'm playing with, but also about the guests. And uh, in saying that, let's jump right into the interview this week. My guest this week has been on my radar for some time with her wonderful botanical art and illustrations. Her attention to the detail and the texture of everyday plants and flowers highlights not just the beauty, but the decay, as well as things like insect damage. She created the Perpetual Journal as a way to capture the natural world around us and document it over time. This idea has inspired so many others to do the same, which creates a relaxed schedule to not only create on a regular basis, but to observe nature and seek out those plants and textures that are often overlooked. To talk about her creative journey, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration podcast, Laura Call gastinger Hi, Laura. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I have been such a fan of yours for so long in the botanical work that you do, uh, the use of watercolor and, and the micron pen and the perpetual journal, which we'll talk about a bit later on. And I'm just so excited to have you on because I know so many of my listeners are, are going to leave 
at the end of this podcast, I don't even know what we're going to talk about yet, but I know that when they get to the end, they're going to be like, I got to dig up my pens. I got to dig up my watercolor and start drawing. So thank you so much for being on. Sure thing. Sure thing. I hope to inspire everybody, especially being that it is the first day of spring. <laughs> True. like on, on March 21st. Yep. Exactly. I hope it's going to be a better spring than we've had the last two years with everything else that's going on that's outside of nature. But yes, I'm excited. I always like to kind of find out where people come from, because I think it gives us an opportunity for connections where people can can make them identify, you know, whether their story is similar or where people come from. And so as a child, was was nature something that was around you all the time? And was creativity part of that? Like, where did you come from as a matter of um, a childhood? Well, I grew up uh, primarily in, um, well, I grew up in Virginia, and I started, um, when I was a child, I grew up along the Chesapeake Bay, right off of the Atlantic Ocean, and we spent a lot of time exploring in the Lynn Haven River. I think a lot of kids my generation, we spent a lot of time outside, and so we would go play in the, um, the sandbars and go crabbing and oystering, and then... I, and then I would take lots of art classes, but just art classes that my other siblings took with me. And then um, education-wise, I went to the University of Virginia, and I really knew I wanted to be an artist, but my parents uh, encouraged me to get a degree in science first. So um, I went to the University of Virginia and had a math, or bachelor's in biology and from there, I was like, well, I guess I want to, I knew I liked working with plants. I just knew that. And so I went on to get a master's in plant ecology at Virginia Tech. And I thought I was going to end up being a field botanist or a field biologist. And so that really just sort of provided the background to, uh, I think, to be where I am today as a botanical artist. And so throughout all of that, I would just continue drawing. I did keep a, some version of a nature journal, and it was really when I was a teenager. Um, I learned how to nature journal with Claire Leslie Walker, mm-hmm. and then also I met Roger Tory Peterson, and so those were like inspirational um, people early on in those teenage years that really connected me to the outdoors and um, for her, connecting me to art. So. Um, I always kind of had that desire to connect science and art. That sounds wonderful. And it's, uh, that sounds like a great place to grow up. I mean, <laughs> it would be, I think it would be an opportunity to see all that ocean life, but you probably wouldn't have to go too far inland to see a different kind of ecosystem as well. Right. But even, it's really funny, even though I grew up on the coast, coastal plain of Virginia, mm-hmm. I really am just drawn and I feel like I'm more connected to the Piedmont and Blue Ridge of Virginia. And like this, this is my plant area. Like this is where like the mountains and the Piedmont are like my, my favorite places. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you, um, like, did you wander away from art at all? Cause I know as a lot of, like when I grew up, I, I was into art. I was kind of the, the art kid until somebody in the class got transferred and was better than me. And it was like, I can't anymore. <laughs> Did Was it something that stuck with you through um, primary and into high school? Like, was it just, yeah, it was definitely. without a doubt. Definitely. But it was just sort of like on the side, um, but it always kept with me. Like I remember doing in high school, I did like an AP art project and it was like very much like 
It was about plants. It was about science and how different animals see plants. And so, um, and I would just always keep it up on the side, but I knew that I had to, um, I was sort of expected to um, have a rigorous science background. And at the time, I probably wanted to do more art, but actually I look back and I'm glad that I actually took the science route and then came about to botanical art, the sort of like a reverse way, I suppose. Um, and you know, it was, um, I think it was after I graduated from my master's, I actually took like botanical art classes to like really learn like how to do it because I'm self-taught. That's so cool. And I, I need to ask you this because I, you know, I do a lot of animals. I've done, it was, I saw a video of you doing um, a purple coneflower or echinacea. And I've done that a few times and I find it such a challenging plant or flower to draw. And I know that when I did it in graphite, I think I redrew it like four times. But I, I guess I, I want to get back to what is it about botanical art versus other kind of natural sciences that kind of pulled you into that versus you know, insects or mammals or reptiles or something else? What is it about the botanicals? Well, it sounds like, uh, this sounds funny, but because they don't move, they just sit there. <laughs> Although plants do wilt, they do wilt. But the thing about plants that's so amazing is that like they change like every season and um, they look so different. I mean, I know animals change too, but like it's really mm -hmm. dramatic with um, plants where you have like the the initial leaves are different than like, the um, as the buds opening up and then the flower of course is one part but then you get these cool seed pods or capsules and then you get these cool um, uh, seeds and so there's like so many different elements of a plant that it's different every season you know especially where I live we have all four seasons represented so nicely here that's what I find so refreshing about the work that you've done is it, it kind of pulls the curtain away from some of the interesting textures and some of the interesting life in botanicals because you a lot of people do botanicals and they want you know th th those those beautiful flowers and uh, you know the, the the shocking colors and what i like about yours is is you just you can fall into like a seed pod yes <laughs> and yeah. just get immersed in it yeah it's so true i, I rarely paint actual flowers and um, if you think about it for the, the life cycle of a plant the flower is actually sometimes a sh very short time so I love and the rest of the life cycle of the plant is so interesting have you ever felt compelled to do something else than botanicals or is it like no not really I, I just feel like also because they're everywhere wherever you go there's plants in the sidewalk and this is one thing I always try to get to cross to people People say, oh, I live in an urban place. It's We don't have nature. I was like, well, it's all around on your sidewalks. And so um, it's just very accessible. And it doesn't have to be the mountains or somewhere very pristine to make discoveries and see amazing things. Um, so what about, do I want to do anything else? No, <laughs> I still like plants. <laughs> I mean, I, I do want to really delve more into um like you were saying, like seeds and capsules, like I love that stuff. And so going deeper into like what some of those look like, I, I feel like I would like to do more of that. Yeah, one plant that I've admired that I haven't taken a stab yet is, is milkweed, because I just think when it releases its seeds, it's, it's such a beautiful ornate, I mean, you could see other animals in the way that the shapes that it takes, it's beautiful. 
And I find it, it's interesting you mentioned kind of the, the flowers and the weeds on the sidewalks, because I feel like if you were walking through a city, you would have your head down, not looking at a phone, but trying to spot <laughs> the interesting things that are pushing up and trying to separate themselves from the structure that we built around them. Especially now. I mean, uh, with spring arriving, it's just like every day is different and there's like different clues, uh, especially the trees are waking up now, the maples are blooming. And so... Th- there's something new, like, almost every day. I mean, I do really feel for people to have long winters, um, but there's still a lot to see, uh, lichens and buds, and the, um, there are some cool mosses and things like that that you can still see. Yeah, there's uh, a few years ago, you just mentioned lichen, and uh, a few years ago, my daughter and I pulled some off a tree and added some water to it and let it sit for a few days, and we were able to spot some water bears in the lichen, and that was just... Like there is so much life around us, we don't realize it. Like where I'm located, um, so I'm quite a few hours north of you, we still have a fair bit of snow, like nothing's budding yet. But I did tap my two maple trees on the weekend with the hope that I'm going to get maple syrup this year. It's the first time I've done and done it, and I planted these trees 20 years ago. So, wow, um, that's fun. Well, I've I've always heard that anecdotally that spring moves north. Um, 18 miles a day. So um, it actually seems to sort of 18 to 20 miles a day. It seems to work pretty well um, the way that that works. So that's cool. It's coming. (laughs) (laughs) And um, one, I know we'll talk about the perpetual journal, but Mm -hmm. um, one thing about it is that it can really connect you with when the seasons change. And this is interesting because um, this spring, I was just telling my um, husband that, where this is a sort of a um, normal spring. It's sort of late, or it's not. It's like on time. It's um, we've had some super early springs, and this one is sort of normal, or it seems like it. It's not rushing too fast. That's good because I think we've had. I think three years ago we had a lot of flooding. We were in Montreal, and we almost thought we couldn't get back to Ottawa because the flooding was so bad uh, with one of the bridges. Um, but uh, I'm glad to say that because. At 18 miles a day, it means that we're going to have a normal spring pretty soon, too. So hopefully, you know, in in your botanical work, and, and you know, we'll get into this will come up later as well. But I'm just curious, are, are there, what's, what's a plant that you enjoy drawing? Because I have a bunch in my head since we've been kind of throwing names around. And I'm just wondering, what do you like to go to uh, on a regular basis as a matter of drawing, whether it's the beginning of its life cycle or the end? What, what, what do you like? You know, I was I was thinking about that, and a lot of times um, people ask me what's my favorite plant. And in the past, I've always said milkweed. I do like the milkweed flowers. I do like the seed pods. But then I think about, like, things that I'm always attracted to in plants, and it really comes down to things like structures. Like, I love roots. I love twisting vines. I love um, elaborate capsules and stuff that we've talked about before. But um, And so once I made, like, a list of hundred uh things I like to draw and it ended up being things like leaves with little holes in them or um just like this delicate like overlooked beauty of nature um so it's not a specific plant necessarily um but it's more about like this elegant decay or um changing or the bones of the plants um yeah I think like when when I look at your work I don't see the perfect leaf I see a perfect rendering of 
a, an experienced leaf. Like it's gone through some turmoil. It, it's 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 you could see that there's something that's happened around it. And I love because that's what nature's about, right? Is is seeing those marks and thinking, oh, there was a beetle in here last night, or there was a snail. I like to tell a story about the plant. And so, I mean, there's one thing. So when I started my career as a botanical illustrator. An illustrator, botanical illustrator, is different than a botanical artist because you're you're doing the ideal perfect plant, um, so people can recognize it. It doesn't have holes. It's standing up how it's supposed to stand. But when you're doing that's the illustration. When you're doing botanical art, you kind of have this liberty to say, "Well, this is what I found. This is what the plant looked like. This is um, what story I'm trying to tell." And I just I just love that. So sometimes one of your questions is about what's my why, and I think sometimes I just want to like. I can find stuff, right? And I just want to be like, look at this amazing thing. Look at this. And then just bring attention to like the beauty of nature that's like right there in front of us everywhere. So what do you think, you know, not, not everyone can get um, access to a science degree um, or, or have the time to do it. And I have a lot of the listeners who are coming to art again later in life. What do you think are some of the things that you learned through your science program that you feel that people should spend some time on that will help them become better botanical artists or illustrators? Right. So when I um, teach botanical drawing, I think it's really important to understand like basic plant structures and just like recognizing like how the leaves are arranged on a stem. Are they alternate? Are they opposite? You know, are there leaves? What's the stem like? Uh, and then you could get into the flower and you say, well, what's the flower like? How many parts are there? Is it um, radially symmetric? Is it irregular? And like just asking these questions and observing them um, can be like the start to understanding and being a better observer of plants. Um, even like learning like leaf shape, the margins on the leaf, the leaf venation, like just paying attention to like how they be different between plants. And then that can start to open the door towards like plant identification. But then plant identification is not the first goal. The first goal is just to observe, see things, um, ask questions, and just be able to say, okay, this is different than that. This, this is, um, this leaf is heart shaped, you know? And so just sort of being able to just know those distinguishing characteristics. Are there flowers or plants that you look at and you think, oh, I, I probably should draw that one, but I just don't like doing that one? <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes I get commissions for pretty plants and it's just sort of like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to do that one. Or I say, actually, what I do is I just direct that person to somebody that does it beautifully, you know? And so I say, um, like, well, I can't think of any. Although the, I, I do paint peonies. That's the only one I paint. And that's because peonies just are, they, they kind of grab me in ways that uh, roses and other things don't. But like peonies are beautiful, I think. Maybe because they come up so early. <laughs> yeah, and their relationship with the ants. It's uh... Oh, and the ants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when the bud opens up, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, because I've wanted to do more botanical illustration uh, or art. And I always find that when I start searching for that, I'm finding these, I mean, and they're beautiful pieces of work, but it's not calling to me. I mean, I draw animals because I love the textures. 
And what I, once again, when I look at your pieces, I see the textures and that's what pulls me in. And so I'm, I'm having to rethink what I'm going to do once the snow goes away. And uh, now I feel kind of empowered to kind of, and, and, and validated in being interested in those and not just necessarily looking for the flower, right? But I think that's really good what you um, uh, bring up. It's like what you're called to draw something and like I think sometimes people think we have to like being a botanical artist oh you got to paint like a rose you don't you don't have to do that you and I think um, people should just draw and paint what like speaks to them when I teach nature journaling I'm like there's so much out there it's overwhelming but just start walking listen and look and something will be like you know draw me draw me you know I'm sure you've had that and so you kind of have to narrow it down and Oh, and also I tell beginners, I say, don't feel like you have to draw the whole plant, right? Sometimes people say, oh my gosh, this is such a complicated monarda, a bee balm. I can't do this. Well, if you're a beginner, just, you know, take one of the flowers apart. Just draw the flower or just draw a leaf, you know, start start small. Don't do the whole plant. That's that's really hard, you know, so. That's a good point. I was, uh, I was sitting in a park last fall and... I was looking out on a river and it's like, oh, I should draw the river, but I'm not a landscape person. It doesn't, there's so many things I would do before I got to landscapes. Um, but I have drawn them, I've painted them, but I looked down and I seen acorn. I picked up the acorn, I laid it on my book and that's what I did. And as you said, just looking down and finding those mm-hmm. things, they're around you all the time. Yeah. So maybe we should dive into kind of the tools and techniques around what you use to create. And I'm wondering, do you have... And we can separate it maybe from, you know, the commission work that you do uh, versus, you know, your perpetual journal and that kind of thing. But what what are the kinds of tools that you go to in creating the works that you do? Well, like you said, there's there's basically like two extremes. The um, studio work, which is on um, wa- hot press, heavy watercolor paper, like usually Fabriano Artistico paper. I've always been a fan of that paper. I mean, now it's had some difficulties, but I still am sticking with it. Um, I also like painting on calfskin vellum, but that gets very expensive. (laughs) And then uh, I use really nice Kolinsky sable brushes, and then the Japanese Interlon brushes. And then my paints have always been um, Schmincke watercolors, but I also like Winsor Newton and Daniel Smith. But um, And I have a limited palette. And I like to keep things really simple. So those are my basics for, you know, the very detailed work. But then on the other end of the spectrum, the quick, um, sketchy, perpetual journal is also Fabriano paper, but it's 140 pound. And then I use Micron pens. I like the 005 size. I like the sepia ink. And then I have a range of little watercolor sets that I just... They're sort of fun to collect, aren't they? <laughs> yes. I'm not as particular about like the light fastness. For the journal, it doesn't matter to me as much about the colors. Um, it's more about the experience of documenting and just having fun. Whereas in the studio, the detailed studio work is a little more, is a lot more pr- thought out. So those two extremes, I think, are uh, are the the journal and the paint- paintings are sort of where I hang out between those two ends. Do you ever use cold press paper or are you 
Is it hot press all the time? It's hot press all the time, yeah. I primarily use hot press, I just like the smooth surface. And then, let's see, with pens, I really think you need to have a smooth a surface because I think you can hurt your pens or wear them out faster if it's bumpy. Although now I'm using Arches watercolor hot press, which to me feels very bumpy, but it's hot press, but it's very textured. <laughs> it was funny. I had tried doing watercolor on hot press paper and I found it very frustrating. I felt like it was ch- like not so much the drawing, the, the drawing's fine, but uh, when I got to the watercolor, I was chasing the water around and it was frustrating me and I realized I was using too much water. I went to cold press and it's like, oh, this is wonderful. I love watercolor. And I went back to hot press and then I realized the difference. So I, I, if someone's trying this for the first time, would you like have a thought about should they try hot press or cold press and what should be the approach? Because I think, and I've heard this from oil painters as well. It's like you watercolor people are crazy. Like that is way too hard. So how would you recommend someone coming into this that kind of alleviates that anxiety about getting it right the first time or getting that's, it so that they're comfortable? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I still think that like, I think Fabriano is a good paper to start with, but it is hot press. So, but I would say, um, you know, the big sheets of paper are so intimidating and expensive. Buy those watercolor blocks that they have. That's like a doable size, like a 11 by 14 or 10 by 14 and work on that because then it doesn't feel so much like if if you buy a beautiful big sheet of paper it's that's so more intimidating so when I teach my students we get little blocks of Fabriano Artistico but it is kind of crazy the paper dilemma that botanical artists go through (laughs) it becomes these long discussions yeah, I'm like I'm sure you can see on my shelf behind me here. I have all kinds of sketchbooks. I've, I mean, I think we're all. I assume you're probably in the same position where it's there's creating the art and then there's collecting the supplies, and they are two separate occupations. Well, I really try to just emphasize to people: you probably have what works, and just what I'm using doesn't mean it's the best at all. And so, if, um, if people say, "Well, I really like," Um, Sanders Waterford paper I'm like well great use it like you don't have to use Fabriano and so um, whatever works for you I think is good I mean the the only thing is like once you get to like really um, high-end sort of botanical art you just want to use materials that are like will last you know and be like acid-free and so you want to start thinking about that, but um, if you're just doing it for enjoyment and fun, don't don't get so tied up about like if you're using the right thing or not. Although I do think brushes do make a difference. Brushes do make a difference. In brushes making a difference, you mean buying like good quality sable, or do you think going to um, like an imitation material? I do, I use I use both synthetic and sable, but just finding one that has like a really nice tip uh, and like the. Uh, Windsor Newton Series 7 brushes are really good too. They're really good. To have like one of those, it kind of makes a difference to have a nice brush. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you want to get that detailed work. I do not use nice brushes for the journal. So those are just water brushes that are very... But that's the water brushes are a great place to start and the journal is a great place to start as an entryway into botanical art. Yeah, I've done what I think is some decent work with just water brushes. Like I, I use a lot of rosemary and co brushes because they have the nice little travel brushes that I think are just beautiful. But I've also done a lot of work with the the Pentel water brushes, especially the fine ones. And I, I just, 
it is really easy. Like I can sit in a mall with a little pallet and the water brush, right? You don't Definitely. carry your container. Yeah. And and I agree, like using trying to do ink work on uh, cold press, unless you've got like a fountain pen, uh, it almost seems like you're rubbing the tip off the micron. Yeah. Do you do any pencil sketching or do you go straight to ink for all your work? So I never use ink under my watercolor, like on my nice, for studio work. Like my ink, my pen is only in my journal. Like that's it. Unless it's a commission, somebody wants something in pen. I really just do watercolor or I do um, nature journaling with pen. But I really just do the pen in the journal. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and so pencil. I don't use pencil in my journal ever, and I'm I'm kind of known to be so hard about that. But I really feel that when when you're sketching and you're outside and you're trying to capture something, I've seen it where people sit there with a pencil and like erase it and try to get it perfect. And I want to tell people that you can make mistakes in your journal. You can have lines that are in quote, incorrect. And you will progress more if you can figure out how to keep that light sketchy line with the pen, refine those lines with um, darker pen. But if I'm in my studio and I'm doing a commission or a painting, I will do pencil first because you you can't mess that up. That has to be perfect. Right. <laughs> so um, that's where you can take your time and erase and fix and make adjustments. But in the journal, it's sort of freeing to just be like, oh, that's okay. I'm just going to go ahead and just draw this. And this might not work out, but that's okay. Yeah, I think I agree. There's something really liberating in being able to be out in the field or even at your desk and to draw with ink. Um, And it forces you to be more creative because all of a sudden you've made this mistake and it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to turn that into a branch or a leaf, right? Like it's, it forces you to kind of get outside of that boundary and move things around a little bit maybe than just replicating what you see. I think that's why, I don't know if you tune in to my Instagram lives on Mondays at 11. I have them every Monday. I've done it since the start of the pandemic, actually. So wow. that's almost been two years. I skipped a few Mondays in there, but um, people like seeing me like in real time, like working out these sort of problems and they like it because it makes them feel like they can make mistakes and it's okay and I'm like of course you can make mistakes like that's how we learn that's how we get better so I like to, I like to encourage people to um you know embrace embrace the mistakes so. yeah I think it's uh, I've, I have tuned into a few of yours I didn't realize it was on a set schedule it's just all of a sudden I see to my feet it's like there's live and it's like oh, I gotta go in um, but it's hard because I have a day job as well but um, yeah I've started doing live draws on Sundays at one and uh, just trying all kinds of different mediums I throw up a reference in advance and we kind of play around and uh, it is People love it. I think they really enjoy that experience. I see when I've been on, on yours, people are just, they're asking questions. They're feeling involved. They're feeling like someone has scheduled something for them uh, to kind of keep them, you know, keep them on schedule, keep them um, accountable. Yeah. Well, also what's been great is that, so we kind of base it around the perpetual journal. And so most of the time I'm adding to my perpetual perpetual journal and then other people are adding to theirs. And so it's fun where people can chime in and say what they added to theirs. And, you know, sometimes people have the same thing, which is cool. And then there's a hashtag um, LG Perpetual Journal that 
people can all go see um, other people's journals. And actually, some of these people, it's so sweet. They're they've created such a community, and they get on there and they like talk with each or chat with each other as best as you can in Instagram. But um, it's been really sweet, especially during this time where people have felt alone or disconnected. It's like some way of connecting to nature and then to other people that are like nature. Yeah, I think you know it has been a very difficult couple of years, but I feel like it's been the best thing for me creatively because it's kind of it's it's forced everyone to connect online and creatively. I had no community, very small community here where I live because I was coming to art late in life. But now I know over a hundred artists that I connect with regularly, uh, just because everyone is online and trying to find their way through this, right? So I appreciate and thank you for for doing something like that because it is hard doing something on a regular basis, whether it's a live draw or something else. I know. Yeah. And so many times people want me to do it at a different time or record them. And I say, no, they're not recorded. And then, I mean, this is like, this is the catch. This is like how I survive. I say, if you want a recorded video, please support me on Patreon. And then I actually get, I get a lot of good support on there. And in the last two years, it's been really amazing and rewarding that actually I, I, can, I can continue my art career with this support from this mostly from the Instagram community or other people. And I, it's been amazing. Yeah. Let's, you know, let's touch on that a bit and then we'll go into the perpetual journal because I, I didn't include it in my show notes, but I think it's something that's, it's come up so many times. I have a Patreon, you have a Patreon. And I think, you know, I, I do the Patreon to help support the podcast and also my work as well. How, I mean, I think you've highlighted, but Patreon's really important to creatives in being able to, I mean, the whole point of being an established creative is having kind of diversity in your in in the way that you're supported. How how long ago did you start Patreon, and how do you think things would be if you didn't have it? I mean, I started it two, about almost two years ago. Like in June, it would be two. It's gonna be two. And I I guess I started it out of um, because of the pandemic. I was looking for another way to support myself. Like, also to go deeper with some students, like, people wanted videos. And I was like, well, I could I can record these little 10-minute videos of, like, what I'm doing in my studio. And, um, and then I got into rhythm, and it just worked out great. And so it relieves that pressure of having to do maybe um, commissions or teaching a lot more than... I, I, I don't need to as much and so then I can work on other things that I really want to so it just it's really been very rewarding and supportive do you have different tiers like what what do people have access to I'm kind of putting you on the spot here but oh, that's I'm just fine. curious how, how oh, you set fine. it up uh, so four dollars is just like hey I like you and then <laughs> you get a li- you get a little bit but I have um, basically I post um, I create content every week and so if you're um the basic tier you get like a in my studio post is just about something about I'm thinking about this week and then a Friday flora which everybody loves Friday flora it's just I take a walk and I just like photograph things and say oh this is a um you know this is striped wintergreen look at it this is what it looks like here's how I drew it oh this is and so I pick like five things on my walk and I just feature them on Friday flora 
people love that. And so that's one thing. And then um, if you're the second tier, which is $10, you get, um, or you're a mushroom, um, you get a video uh, once a week. And uh, this week's about um, how do you even draw outside? How do you even go about, like, what are the steps to doing that? And next week's like how to use a water brush, actually. <laughs> and then uh, some of them might be more complicated, like this is how I'm working on this commission. And then if you go twenty dollars uh, once uh, a month, we get a uh, you get a Zoom class with me, so that's great um, with the other lichens. And then the top tier is you can get a one-on-one -on -one session with me, and we just like I just look at your work and we talk and stuff like that. That's so it's brilliant. Been, it's, yeah, it's great. I don't mail stuff. Um, right. So I, I never got into products. It's more just like post and information. Yeah, that's um, that's really helpful. I'm going to have to become a, a supporter of yours because I'm trying to do a better job at mine. And it's trying to understand what you deliver, what you share versus um, what you don't. And, and you know, I had um, the astronaut uh, Cyan, uh, Dr. Cyan Proctor on on uh, two podcasts ago and she has a patreon it blew me away that an astronaut has a patreon but she does postcards for everybody and mails them out once a month it's like wow, wow. that is dedicated that's <laughs> but yeah uh, yeah that's impressive it, yeah that's um but it's a balance of 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 things i think and uh i'm gonna have to take a look at yours because I, I do like the the idea of your tears um and uh, it sounds like people get a lot of bang for their buck with uh with what, what you're doing as well so it's a really great way to build community. I think, you know, if you're, I'm not saying you are, but if people are looking at creating a book or something else, it's a great way to leverage that against a new project as well, which is kind of fun. That is what I do want to do. So I, I'm, that's percolating. Um, although I do have to say Patreon doesn't allow people to communicate unless you do like Discord or I guess you have to do a Facebook page. Or, so I, I kind of do wish there was a little bit more way for us to all share a little bit more so patreon that's that's unfortunate about that but yeah yeah i would um i would agree they don't have the best model the discord connection isn't bad but uh yeah i was kind of talking around the book because people who are working on books don't like to talk about them if they are working on one but so you're thinking about a book <laughs> I, I, I still need a publisher maybe somebody listening can contact me i i mean you think somebody would have contacted me but <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, we'll do something offline because I, I know a couple of people, and um, I know somebody on the on the West Coast as well. So we'll touch base. That I, sounds I'm, great. Yeah, I, I will. We'll do something there. I'm not saying we'll do something, but I, I'll see if I can make some connections there. But yeah, I'm surprised that somebody hasn't said, you know, come on, we need you to do a book. Which I think it's I think it's the Instagram algorithm. I only have like a thousand people actually engaging with any post anymore. Right, and you've yeah, got sorry. like sixty. 6,000 or something followers? No, or? I have like 80,000. 80,000? Okay. Yeah. And, it, and it's a thousand people. It's, it's pathetic. I just said. Uh, do you think, so just on that, do you think you're still going to be doing live draws in a year from now on Instagram? Or have you thought about doing those on YouTube or somewhere else, like pulling stuff out of Instagram? That's a really good question. I don't know where I'll be in a year. I do uh, taper off a little bit in the summer, and I think, and I'll probably just do it like I did last year, where I just did like the first Monday of June, July, and August, um, and then I'll just see how I feel in September. Yeah, because I know the world changes and people change and move on. So no, I don't think I'll be doing it forever, but at least for the meantime. And back to the book, what would a book by you look like? 
Oh, it would be great. Well, basically, it would be like the version of my perpetual journal um, with some pages and tips and like how to get started. It would just be a, like a copy of my journal. So you could just see what a, um, a journal of um, like ten, the 10 years. Actually, I started the one in 2001, what that, what that looks like. Cool. So let's do that. Let's dive into what a perpetual journal is, because I think that's exciting. So maybe you can talk about what it is and when you started it and why you started it, the origin story of the perpetual journal. Well, the origin story was that um, I had a client and very well-off client, and I said, beautiful property. I said, oh, well, for a year, I'll be your eyes and ears, and um, can I just come to your house and fill out this journal and... Uh, so we got a blank journal, and I came um, every week, so 52 times, and would just um, go draw and fill in this journal. I would spend three to four hours and fill out a whole spread of the book. And then um, when I finished, it was so cool. And I was like, well, how do I do that myself? It's a little bit harder to do that much work um, without being paid and stuff like that. And my husband's like, well, why don't you just get a blank journal and break it into the 50 um the 52 weeks, but then you actually just draw like a small something or just note something. So um, I started with January 1st through 7th, January, and then turn the page, and the next spread is marked January 8th through 14th, and then you turn the next page, January 15th, and on and on until you get to the end of the year. And then um, you just merely go to the week you're on, so... Um, today's March 21st, you would go to that week and uh, you would just note something or draw something. And the great thing is that it's forgiving. If you like skip a week, it's totally okay. You just go to the week you're on. You don't have to, it's not a huge commitment. You can just write a little text, like the peepers are out or last or first frost. Um, you can draw something elaborate. Um, and then before you know it, you're around to the next year. And then you turn to that page. You're like, oh, look at that. Last year on March 21st, uh, I saw this. This year, let me see if I can find something different. And then you become like super observant with your environment. And you're like, oh, look what I saw. And what can I see now that's new? And um, it just becomes a great rich practice to like learning your plants and actually becoming a better at drawing. Like I've seen it on my pages where I've drawn milkweed because it's a hard one, mm -hmm. multiple times. And I'm like, oh, look at how much better I am at it now. I have a sketchbook. And when I knew you were coming on, I was thinking, I would love to do this. And I have one that's empty. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. Like it's, uh, I, I don't know why I wouldn't. But the first question I have, as somebody who doesn't really see green until April, <laughs> is what do you do in January? Yeah, I know. I have um, journalists in... Uh, Norway and it's and also Finland uh so you just have to be creative and get into things like bark but maybe you can do birds you can do you know sky you can do um like I said lichen and mushrooms and you know sometimes after it snows and then it's windy so much falls on the snow so are you thinking when you do a perpetual journal are you thinking I need to find something unique to this point in time. Are you thinking that's cool? You know what I'm like, are you trying to narrate something for your future self? Or are you just trying to capture what's around you? Um, just capture what's cool around me. Yeah. It's, it's not too much like brain power, but, and I think people do get tied up. They're like, 
oh, I don't know, I don't know what to draw, there's so much, or, well, I want to draw it all, and I'm like, just draw, just pick one thing, and just focus on that, you know, you can spend, a, um, I, there's that great quote, there's something about, you can spend a lifetime, oh, no, I know, it's E.O. Wilson, uh, you can spend a lifetime in a Magellanic voyage around the trunk of a tree, like, you can just dive in, and, um, so just draw what's, like, cool that day, you know? And do you, so when you, so you have a page for a week, do you think it's the start of a new week, so I'm going to start today, or do you wait for the week to pass? Like, do you have a, like, in, in doing this with other people, it are there routines around, it's a new week, I'm going to go draw something today, or do you give it two or three days to see what hits you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it's definitely B. Just, like, see what hits me. I, I never feel like, oh my gosh, it's, it's the end of the week, I got to draw something. But that's why the Instagram lives are good, because it forces me to draw something with other people. But um, yeah, I sort of just, and actually, sometimes I I miss weeks, but it doesn't obviously matter to me. Um, And, but sometimes I just get it out. I'm like, oh, what did I see last year? When, when is spring coming? When are the bluebells coming up? Like, I just looked at that the other day. I was like, when are the bluebells coming up? I haven't seen them. And so I went and checked, and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I, they're out. But I'm not going to draw them again, because I already drew them. Um, but you could write a note. You could say, oh, they're on time again. So, Do you do more than one entry per week? Would you, would you have a note about the bluebells are here and then draw uh, some of the maple um yeah, uh, maple or maple tree. Uh, uh, definitely, if if you have time and you're inspired, like um, yeah, sometimes I do that. But sometimes it's just like a one-off, just like one thing. Um, if I'm camping or something somewhere, I might sit down and draw like three things. Or wow. you want to keep you want to keep space for at least five years of of uh, observations. It's, that seems to be average for people. Like one book takes about five years. So a page would have, you know, whatever, a span of a week written at the top and an entry would be, an, it doesn't have to be an illustration, but it, it could be an illustration, but it seems that you are focused on text. It, like if there's, if there's no illustration, then put an entry that the bluebells are coming up. But if you do do an illustration, it's it's good to have a little bit of text around it, right? To maybe describe you should that. Always, you should always have um, the date with the year, where you are. Um, I, I, For beginners, I try to encourage people to like do that, like writing, getting um, centered in your place. Like, what do you hear? What's the temperature? What's the weather like? So you can write all that as like an icebreaker if you're scared about that white page. And also, um, or sometimes I put the text in at the end after I finish the drawing, um, the secret is that text makes the drawing look better. Hmm. It does. Like if you have a drawing that you don't like, well, put some put some words around it. Or you can put a box on part of it. Or another good strategy is just forget about it and next year draw something that sort of distracts from that. So then, you know, people get so consumed about like, oh, I did this and it messed up the page. Well, there's tips for that, too. I say, like, you know, when you're starting a page, have something come off the page. Use the edges of the page. A lot of times people want to, like, center something beautifully. And then if they mess it up, it kind of can be sort of an eyesore. So use the corner of your page or um, crop it, 
you know, stuff like that. Um, I, I draw plants the way they grow on the page, like branches come off the sides, um, flowers and herbaceous plants come up from the bottom, um, an acorn might be floating by itself. So make it be intuitive, like where the, the plant will tell you where it wants and how it wants to go on the page. And as you mentioned, there's that hashtag that people can use to see what others have done as well for inspiration, right? That's correct. There's actually two. So there's LG, which is the one I started um, for my initials, Laura Gastinger, Perpetual Journal, or just Perpetual Journal. That's some other people, sort of. I, I follow I follow them both both. And so what's cool is that I can actually see people's work. And then so I get to know people and their journals. And so that's really neat that I actually get to connect with people that are doing this. Like and what's cool is like people are like, I finished my first year, I'm coming around the second year. And that is amazing and it's so rewarding for people and they get so excited. And once you get into the second year, it's it's just fun. Because you can see what you saw last year, and then you can see how you drew it. It's just neat. I'm going to, uh, I, I'm all over this. I, I started a nature journal last year where I was devoting a page per uh, species. So I have one about uh, moths. Um, it was, in that case, it was a bunch of, a variety of moths. I had a different page around uh, mergansers. So I showed kind of the male, the female, the, the ducklings and that kind of stuff. Because we have a pond out back that they come back to every year. That's fun. And, um but I, I really like this idea because it feels like it's a lighter load and it does force you to get outside in this environment where we're working from home. I try to get outside, but sometimes I don't. And just saying, you know, I have to go, I have to go outside now because I, <laughs> I need to pull something together for my perpetual journal. I think it's a great conversation. Sure. Definitely. The, so the question for you, if I were to start now, so we're, it, we're into like the third week of March when this goes live. Should I be, if, if I've got a page, uh, so I've got a booklet that has uh, 52 pages, so it's not a spread per, per week, it would be a, a page per week, but it's, a, it's an A4 size book, so it's, I think it'll accommodate five years. Should I be putting in those weeks up until now and then starting so that when I come back to it next year? Definitely. So, well, it can be up to you. If you say, like, I want to start my book the first day of spring, you could just start your dating now. Or you can just start January 1st through 7th and pencil. I always tell people to just pencil in the dates until you figure out how you want to like permanently put them in there. Um, sometimes people like to stamp them. But then you just start on the, the week you are in, like in real life. Um, so I would, if I were you, I would just go ahead and start dating it with January 1st. Mm -hmm. and then, but just start drawing now. And do you observe the Sunday to, to to Saturday approach, or do you are are you thinking about a a week as a matter of numerical, like starting one to seven? Like, how do you look at that? I just did one to seven, okay. and then so numerical, and then eight to fourteen. Yeah. Okay. I know it's. I know it seems like I'm caught up on details, but it's no. part of the way my mind works. So. But people um, come up with different. Um, combinations for like if you have a different book like some people can't afford the book that um my bookmaker makes her name is Lindsay Mears and she's an Etsy store and um so some people put together like Stillman and Byrne books or handbook company books there's Strathmore series 500 books those are all great options you just might have to modify your numbers 
Yeah, I've got an Etcher sketchbook that has, like, I just love the hot press paper because it's 300 GSM in this beautiful sketchbook that I can paint on the cover. The cover's blank white, and so that's exciting. But so you can buy a perpetual journal? Um, yeah, so Lindsay okay. makes, um, I work together with her. She's made all my perpetual journals, and she makes them for students. Um, she's in Michigan. Okay. So I will include, and I have to say this at some point during the show, I have really good show notes. So everything that you've talked about, including the hashtags and a link to Lindsay's site, in addition to all of yours, I'm going to include the show notes. So for the listener, just know that, just continue listening. Even if you're out running or walking in the woods or driving, when you get home or to your office, you can pull up the show notes and then you'll be able to click through and, and see all the stuff there. So that's incredible. So do you, in your perpetual journal, do you ever include animals? Uh, I include um, insects, definitely like including insects, and, uh, but no, and if I've heard, if I hear birds, but I, um, I really admire people that can draw birds and animals like you, so. <laughs> Thank you. Because <laughs> I, I feel like you validated me. I feel like, oh, okay, yes. she said I could do it. <laughs> I just like, you know, there, I feel like there's just so many plants to like learn that, that it's just sort of like, I can't, I can't waste my time. I have to like focus on uh, <laughs> plants and now, and now mushrooms and then lichens, you know, it's, there's so much out there. It's so humbling. That's another thing about the perpetual journal. You'll just realize how little, you know, <laughs> of this like amazing world. Yeah. I've been, uh, I've been obsessed with mushrooms in the last year. Uh, we we ended up with morels growing up in our front yard, and and then I found out you could cook them. So I cooked them and I gave it to my daughter, and <laughs> she's like, "This tastes like steak," because I just fried it up with garlic and butter. And uh, she's like, "Where did you get these?" I said, "I just picked them in the front yard." I'm eating lawn mushrooms. <laughs> That's so funny. But they were so good, so I'm hopeful they'll come up again this year. And then I made mushroom ink last fall, uh, which I wow. painted with. That's super um, cool. And uh, yeah, it's um, so I, I'm really obsessed with mushrooms at this point, And there's so many kinds out there. It's just incredible. This. Yeah. And I encourage people to um, a lot of my students use the Seek app. I don't know if you use that yes. in Canada, but it's connected with iNaturalist. And I think that is a great way for people to start being curious. And if you want to get into identification, although sometimes it's not the right You just got to be cautious about the identification. I'm glad you bring that up. I love those two apps. Um, I I think we've got quite a few entries, both between my wife and I for animals as well as plants around here. And you can be somewhat anonymous with your GPS location and it helps. It's kind of this um, opportunity to do a bit of science, right? Um, And supporting others. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it it is so much fun. I, I think the, you know, it's it's great to look down and not look at your phone. Like it's yeah. it's great to yeah. walk through the, yeah. the woods, look down, look up, and try and find these things because it's it is so exciting. Is there a part? I mean, you love the area that you're in, obviously, in geographically. Are there parts of the country or the continent or the world that you'd like to explore as a botanical artist? That's a really good question because, like I said, I, I do feel really connected to the Piedmont and Blue Ridge of Virginia. Uh, I do like boreal forest. I like um, al- like alpine zones, um, like up in New England. Um, those have always intrigued me. 
I did go once to Costa Rica, but I was so overwhelmed by all the beautiful little miniature orchids that kind of, it was, it was too much. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty content right now here. The Southwest is beautiful. I love, um, succulents and cacti, but, um, well, I am, um, I did live in Utah and I love the alpine meadows there. So that was pretty exquisite. Hmm. Yeah, these are areas, I mean, I think I've been to a couple of them, but uh, I'm, I'm always amazed. Like, even if you leave, you know, two or three hours from where you are, things can change drastically. Like, the, 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 the flora and the fauna is just, it can be a huge change. And, you know, even in Canada, from where I am in Ottawa, going to a place like Point Pelee, where the uh, the monarchs stage before they cross the uh, the lake, it's, it's a, almost like a different country down there as a matter of the temperature and the climate. Yeah. 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 Not only does my perpetual journal focus on Virginia flora, but like all of my paintings that I've done, like for exhibits, like at the RHS, the Royal Horticulture Society show, those have all been heavily influenced by Virginia flora, and so it's just like the um, yeah, it's the genre or the it's this suite of plants that I like like and know the best. So you've got eighty thousand followers on Instagram. Do you ever think about? trying some other subject and think i don't know if people will like it if i do that do you ever think about like does that ever happen in your head it seems like you're pretty focused on what you do but have you ever thought about trying something different and then think about social media impacting your decisions um you mean like artistically yes like i'm gonna draw Um, a crow or i'm going to draw more mushrooms and think about uh, i don't know if people are gonna Oh, people, people's mushrooms, I think, work well with this crowd. Yeah. Um, but I know what you're saying, um, like if I were to start drawing my cats or something. Yeah. Um, like- no, I, I haven't really thought too much about doing that or changing it up. Um, I have definitely in the last um, couple of months, be- like I said, with the algorithm slowing things down, I haven't felt like posting very much. And sometimes I'm like, why do I even post? You know, so I've ha- definitely had those feelings to be honest (laughs) but um yeah I don't know how it's gonna evolve like but it's easy enough for me to just post what's in my perpetual journal from the past few years and add something in do you think do you do you have any alternatives for Instagram I mean beyond the Patreon supporters that get content on a regular basis have you thought about opportunities with I mean Twitter really isn't the place for it um have you thought about like a microblog um, that's maybe public or have you thought about that? Um, I started a TikTok account, but then I only put up one thing and or I made one thing and then I just was like, nah, this isn't for me. I'm on Twitter, but I don't post anything. No. I mean, honestly, I feel like um, I would I would rather not be on social media, but it's sort of how I connect to get Patreon supporters. Um, I do send out a newsletter um, seasonally that advertises classes and um, like shop updates because I do have an online store that I sell some cards and prints. Um, Most recently, I created that, um, you probably saw the pandemic print or pandemic painting where I painted for the whole first year of the pandemic, like the different plants that I saw throughout the year. It was was pretty fun and pretty... That worked out really well. So um, that's a good way to turn something uh, difficult into something good. So <laughs> yeah, people. One thing people always want me to do with stuff like that is make a fabric. And so 
Um, I don't produce too many products. Actually, I don't produce any products but um, besides cards. But I get a, lots of requests to make fabric <laughs> and wallpaper with like spoon flour or somewhere like that. But. Yeah, I've heard, uh, I had one guest on here that was looking at licensing deals for some of her uh, work as well. I think there's, I, I don't know, it sounds like it's lucrative, but it seems like it takes, it could take a year to 18 months before anything happens with it. Well, the temporary tattoo company, Tatley, they they make uh, temporary tattoos from my artwork, which is super fun. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so cool. you can have like a fern or some berries or Queen Anne's lace on your arm or kale. It's really fun. <laughs> That's cool. So I wanted to just go back because I wanted to ask you about this as well. Do you do any digital work? Like, do you work on an iPad? Do you use Photoshop? Is everything just hand-drawn in an analog world? Yeah, everything is hand-drawn. I mean, I scan things in just to, do- to document them, but that's it. Everything is hand-drawn. That's why I think it's it's very much like uh, it's, it seems very... Um, uh, yeah, it's very traditional and um, back to basics. So that's cool. And with the Perpetual Journal, have you noticed that your style has changed? I know you've commented in this podcast, and I've seen you comment elsewhere, that you could see you've gotten better. C- can you speak to that a bit? And, and is there what have you benefited from? And is there any negatives in the pe- Perpetual Journal? I'm sure you're going to say no, but in, in, in applying that to what you do in the studio. So the way that my work has changed or gotten better is that like my lines are more confident and I know exactly how much how much pressure to apply with the pen and it's just sort of like a lot easier like but that just goes with practice anybody can become more confident at drawing I know the size of things like people say oh how do you measure that and I've just drawn so many of these things so many times like an acorn that like I don't have to measure it and put like a line and a, and a scale or anything I just draw it so that's easier although I look back at my journals that I had when I was like in college there was like a little bit more freedom or a little more creativity or looseness that actually sometimes I'm sort of like oh I wish I wasn't so sort of constrained and tight but as a botanical artist that's what you do it's supposed to be exquisite when you do a botanical painting and it has to be tight and just it's not loose and washy but um so but that's what I can do some of that in the perpetual journal I actually sometimes feel very so I try to keep that feeling alive in the perpetual journal like that that sort of like looseness in the um it almost sometimes feels sloppy to me. I feel like when I'm doing my demos, I'm like, oh my gosh, this must look so sloppy to people. But I like that because that's <laughs> contrasting to that perfection that you have to have with the paintings. The bad thing about the Perpetual Journal, I just wish I could like display it more. You know, I have these like beautiful pages and they're just, they're in a book, right? And so like people can't touch them or look at them. Do you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's not as... um that's probably the only thing is that like you can't really um, share it. So maybe that's why I would like to print it or publish it. It would be, uh, I think it'd be even cool if there was a blank book and there was a, like a, a QR code on each page and people could use their phone and over the blank page, see what you've done. Oh, that's a very cool idea. I like that. 
because that way you're, and you can change it up then because the QR code goes to a page that maybe is on the internet that changes over time, but it allows them to, con, you know, to contribute, but uh, you're there along to, uh, to show your work and maybe there's videos as well, but. Oh, that's neat. Well, you also probably notice on Instagram, I, I don't show like full pages, full mm-hmm. spreads. Um, so nobody ever sees also, and I don't know if I'd want to put a lot of full images on like some web page. I just feel like there's so much like copying and stealing yes. of images. So a lot of times I just show parts of paintings and people are like, I want to see the whole thing. I'm like, or I put my paintbrush or yes. utensils like across things. I don't know if you do that too, but yes. I don't do the watermark thing. So I just try to go around it that way. Yeah. I'm sometimes I'm really, I think for me, it's how much time I've spent on the piece. Like I did a raccoon live draw on the weekend and I just posted that. I did it on my iPad using Procreate, and I just posted that with my signature. And I, you know, I know someone may end up taking it at some point, but I'm, but I do when I'm, when I've invested a few hours on something, I do do the whole thing where it's like I'm going to take it at an angle, and I'm going to lay a pencil here and make the lighting a little bit different over the whole image, so it's really hard. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like you got to pick your battles. Yes, exactly. When you're working in the field, can you talk about the balance between? drawing what's in front of you or what you're holding versus taking a photo and then going back to your studio house cottage boat and doing it there yeah so i think sometimes people are a little disappointed to know that i actually don't sit outside and draw all that much i mean the weather's sometimes not great here we have a lot of ticks and chiggers and stuff and mosquitoes but uh so a lot of times it is a balance of um going outside and some things you can collect and bring home, but a lot of times I'm always talking to people about you're not supposed to collect um, in private places, preserves, uh, national parks, and so you really have to take a picture. And so you there's with everybody has a camera on them, so you can take very good photos, putting a background behind the object, trying to get the light the way you might want it. Um, I always try to encourage people. If you can, take the picture with the light from the upper left side if you're able to get around it. Um, And so I do a mix of like some collected things and a lot of photographs. But I will like sit outside and sketch for like 10 minutes to place it on the page and figure out where it's going to go and then get the size and shape of it, the scale, and then add the details from a photo or the specimen like later. So it's a mix. Hmm. You mentioned light from the upper left. Is that a thing? For botanical art, it is. And so a, a lot of times people and students say, oh, my, my drawing looks so like flat and looks like a cartoon. And I said, well, you just need to put some shading on it. And so I say, traditionally, the light is from the upper left side. And so um, just put a little bit of shading on the right side. If it's an acorn, put a little shading like it's a sphere, like over here. And then this is a cylinder. So put it, shade it like this. And so that helps things look a little more real. We do stippling or hatching or cross-hatching um, to make that effect. And then um, when I'm doing a painting, you can like um, use your stage, the lighting in your studio and have take pictures and you can really get the light how you want to. Um, and then also it just is more consistent, whether in a painting or in your perpetual journal, to have the light uniformly, like be consistent from the upper left side. Oh, really? Okay. 
now that I'm thinking about it, I think, well, I do a lot of animals, but recently I think I've been doing a lot from the upper right. It's okay. If you're left-handed, you can switch it. People yeah, do. I'm right-handed, but I, I'm just, that's a good point because I've done, like I did a jumping spider a little while ago and that was upper left. It, it, upper upper region is good. I didn't really think about the consistency, especially in something in a perpetual journal. But uh, well, I've seen a demo where like you have a pair and if you have the light from the f- front, it it sort of looks a little flat. If you yes. orient the light from the side, it's really going to look like a round pair or have that shape. So uh, you want to kind of just maximize that shape and make it look the best it can. So. I guess you could always, if you get at the light from the wrong way, you could always flip the image. Would that be cheating? Like rotate it oh. around the vertical? Could. You mean like in your phone? Yeah. Oh, I guess you could. I say just be consistent. If you want it from the other side, that's fine. Yeah, if you look at traditional botanical art, that's sort of sort of the way... It's, it goes, yeah. Oh, I, I'm, okay. I've logged that in now. I'll have to keep that in But so for me, like if I if I pick like a sycamore ball and then, uh, but the, I couldn't get a photo of the lighting, right? I still know how to shade it just because it's like a sphere. And so I don't right. need a photo to do that. Right. So I want to talk about some of the training that you do and some of the workshops and things like that. So do you do regular workshops? Do you, you know, beyond the Zoom stuff that's part of being a Patreon supporter, do you do regular workshops with people beyond the live draws that you do on Instagram? Um, I was. Um, I was doing Zoom classes for the general public when the pandemic started, and that was working out well. And I would teach the Perpetual Journal. And it was cool because we would meet like once a month um, over like three months to get people started. And that was great. I, t- I taught pen, just pen technique. Um, I did some watercolor, but actually I didn't like the way the camera made the, the quality look. So I stopped teaching watercolor on, online mm-hmm. um, and just stuck with pen and journaling. And then, but now um, I'm teaching a semester at the local, at the University of Virginia, which is super exciting. Oh, wow. Putting together all my... Um, different types of classes for some grad students. It's It's been a lot of work. So that's what I'm really focused on. So are you going to be doing more workshops in the future or is that going to become your focus now? Is the I am teaching a workshop in France, Southern France in June. And so um, I think I have a few more spots if people are interested. And so um, it's just fly to Paris and take the five-hour train ride. And so we're going to be near the Pyrenees and we'll get to spend time going up into the Pyrenees and just explore the landscape. My favorite thing to do with people is to sort of spend a week exploring a landscape and figuring out like how to find something that resonates with that person and how to do the preparation to um, you know, sketch it in the field, learn its parts, figure out the composition how to do watercolor and then make a painting from it and to do all that in a week is it's like it's my favorite thing to do so how many spots are there for that uh that tour there's 12 actually okay and, um, and right now we have we right now we have eight and it's it's my favorite number i do like 10 but um yeah but it's a go already so um that's exciting I know it's 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 gonna be beautiful. Um, so I have taught other sort of I guess immersive workshops like that, like in actually in Romania in Transylvania, I taught a class before the pandemic, and then um, at Penland in in North Carolina, it's like an art retreat 
And so I love, I like doing that sort of thing. So how do you prepare for something like that in France? Are you thinking about the region? Are you lining up your plants and, and reaching out to people there and understanding the time of year, what's coming out? Or is it just, let's go over there? It's, it's let's go over there. <laughs> okay. So it's, but I have like my little bag of like techniques and tricks. And so we will definitely like all start to do like, okay, let's start with the leaf. Everybody find this leaf. And um, I mean, maybe we'll all do the same leaf just to get like, the warm-up exercises, and then now we're going to introduce color. And so it, we will go through um, the, the like different techniques and then adapt it to what they find. And is it a full day? Like it's, it's a full week, but is every day like a full six or eight hour day of stuff or how does it work? I'm just curious. I don't, I've not been to one. <laughs> well, it looks like in France, they have long lunches and they also... Um, they like wine and um, cocktails, or I, I don't know. So the days might be a little more relaxed than um, maybe it's not going to be a full day, but I'm sure we'll get in about um, like six hours of um, painting or drawing. I kind of like see how everybody goes. I mean, there's, and it's all levels. Um, I work towards the, for the level of the student. Um, and then, so like once the, things get back to normal. I, I did teach uh, classes at the um, local art center here. And I like doing that too, where it's just like a six week class where people get sort of homework and it's assigned and um, they progress. Yeah. And we're going to get to homework at the end of the podcast here because uh, that's going to be exciting. But I I wanted to, um, to ask you, and, and I know a lot of artists teach and I'm just wondering, what is it that you, why do you feel you need to teach? It's a very simple, basic question, but why do you feel you need to teach? Because you're doing it through your live draws, right? That's just by nature. But why do you feel you need to teach what you do? I, I think it's just that I, I'm just so excited to share the beauty of nature that's out there. And I just want people to feel like they, they can do it too. And um, it's so rewarding when people do say like, oh, you taught me how to see this and like, I never thought I could do that. Yeah, I just, I, I find it rewarding. Although, I mean, I, I just, um, I'm glad to be able to um, help people and inspire people. I mean, that's that's just like the biggest compliment that I, that somebody feels inspired now. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so, I'm so happy. That's cool. The, um, what do you think's had the biggest impact on your success throughout your career? Oh gosh, that's, that's so hard. Like biggest impact, like, um, like that, you know, maybe over a period of a week or a month or a couple of months, that something you've done um, has really elevated your game, whether it's uh, a show or uh, something you've done on Instagram or a, a workshop. Well, I, I definitely feel like when I started my career, um, my posi- position as the illustrator of the flora of Virginia, like just kicked off my career as like being this um, legit illustrator of (laughs) of like plants and to to have that sort of project to start my career was just like amazing amazing blessing and so um that I would say that because and that was the I mean it was just perfect it was just the best segue from like the science scientific plant ecology degree to like learning my plants while drawing them to like segueing into art like that was that was great. And then shortly after that, I did have a client and 
your question had asked about when did I first consider myself an artist? Mm -hmm. Um, they commissioned me to paint something and then they're like, what, what do we owe you? And I had no idea. And then they wrote me like a huge check and I was like, Oh my gosh, they are paying me for this art. And I was like, I, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can be an artist. And so that those client, that, that client and that project, that was pretty impactful. I've, I've had a few artists talk about that where they, they create art and it's sold for them or somebody pays them for it and they're shocked at the value of their work. I just think that's so surprising. And I, I think more artists need to experience that because I think people undervalue their work. 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It did take me a long time, though, after that to say, when people say, what do you do? And I would be like, um, it took me a long time before I could say, like, I'm a botanical artist, you know? And I don't know at what point it finally clicked where I was like, I'm a botanical artist. But it's hard. It's hard to, like, because, first of all, people sometimes don't even know what that means. But um, to say, like, I'm an artist and I can sustain um, part of the income of this family. I don't know. So... <laughs> I'm so, I'm so happy that you did that because I think you've impacted so many people with not only the work that you've done but inspiring others to do their own work. So I think that's that's fantastic. What's your favorite season? Um, it would have to be uh, fall or winter. Even though spring has that great feel about it, it's uh, too fast and it's too too green. And so uh, yeah, I it would have to be. Um, actually, you know, I'm gonna go with winter. But my winter is different than your winter, so uh, we have a mild winter. And I just like the color palette, the grays, the sepia, the um, the purples, the, the warm browns. And so, and seeing the structures of plants and their, uh, yeah, their bones and stuff. Yeah. It's just so simple, but elegant and so exquisite. Yeah, I, uh, I would agree. I love fall. I think it's my my favorite time of year. You can almost see blues in the forest. It's uh, yeah, it's a it's a beautiful time of year. I do get overwhelmed with uh, with green and summer, and getting into the heat when everything is dry and golden is not pleasant. But uh, yeah, fall is fall is beautiful. What um, you talked about this workshop that you you know that you're do, you're doing at the university uh, through the course, and that you're doing this experience in uh, in Paris as well, or in France, I should say. What other art goals do you have for the next year or two? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, let's see. Try to publish something. Also, I do have a... Sometimes in the back of my head, I have a goal to go back to London to exhibit at the Royal Horticulture Society show. Um, for those of you that don't know, it's it's sort of... It feels like the Olympics of botanical art. And so I've been twice in 2000... Um, let's see, 2000 seven and 2018 and I have two gold medals and um wow. there's sort of this like window where your um time to come back can um expire and then you have to resubmit all again and so I'm sort of like well I should probably just if I'm going to do it one more time I don't know but the, you have to just, like create a collection of work and it's it's a huge amount of work but um I sometimes I need a goal like that you know and so I know that sometimes like students and botanical artists like need like they're like well I don't know what to paint next or what to do next I think having goals like that like well maybe I should be in this show or maybe I should 
um, submit to this, uh, those are important. Even if you don't get into them, it's, I think those help <laughs> you motivate to um, keep creating, you know? I mean, I don't know if about you, but I need like exterior. I need like, this is due. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree. I, I like having those deadlines. I, and, and I'm curious about when you say a body of work, what are they expecting as a matter of body of work? Like how many pieces? It's at least at least six mm-hmm, in a in a theme, and so um, you know people do a, a specific like um, apples of Washington or something, or you, I don't know. So there's and it's so varied. We'll just see. Um, that's one thing. Like you can create work for yourself and keep creating work. But then sometimes you got to figure out, like, well, what are you going to do with it? Because actually, I, I do have a lot of paintings in my studio here. And um, so you got to figure out, like, well, the, they need to get out into the world. And I'm going to have a show coming up uh, in April at a local place with some other artists. So that's kind of fun. It's been canceled twice. So. Okay. Well, hopefully it'll stick this year. That's awesome. And I hope to see you published at some point. That would be kind of cool. So... We always get to the point in the podcast where I ask about homework. I like people to walk away with something and um, be able to take something they've learned here and apply it to an exercise. And so, Lara, I'm wondering about what you think um, the homework should be for the listener for this week. Well, I think that always what I encourage people to do that really makes people look closer is, and now that spring and things are popping up, uh, I challenge you to, like, go find a fresh new leaf. The new leaves that come out sometimes are really cool because they're very, um, sometimes they can be a little bumpy, like uh, garlic mustard or hydrangea. Some of those, even those pretty little soft oak leaves, they can be so distinct. So I just would love you to just maybe find three. I always tell people three because one's great. Two, you never do even numbers so three leaves that are like different enough and like um draw them like three different fresh new leaves and just compare their um leaf shape leaf margin and venation and just just spend some time with that if you can't find leaves outside i've also done uh salad greens and salad mixes they're so different like like from a package and that's if you want to paint you can paint one dark green one light green and so just pay attention to the leaves that are coming out and trying to absorb all this beautiful sunshine. I am. Uh, I'm gonna do that right after I build my perpetual journal. <laughs> you gotta tag the Instagram so I can the hashtag so I can see it. I can't wait. Yeah, I'll have to. Uh, I don't know. I'll probably spend some time thinking about what the first entry is. Right? It's it's always. Oh, no, 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 no. You can't. You don't. Don't do that. Don't don't put that pressure. Yeah, I'll. Uh, for sure, I'll tag you. And 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 uh, sure. I'll tag, uh, and I would encourage everyone, anyone who's listening, if you decide to do uh, the homework, please tag Lara and myself uh, so that we can share that. And if you decide to do the perpetual journal, make sure you follow the hashtags and add them to your posting as well, so that Lara can see them. I think that's exciting. I'd love to see it. So I wanted to um, before we get into goodbyes, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to tell people where they can find you online. Uh, well, the best place is Instagram at Laura Gastinger. I also have a web page that has um, that's lauracallgastinger.com. I also recently did buy perpetualjournal.com, <laughs> so awesome. I have that one. <laughs> um, and then, so those are the best places. 
or my Patreon. I will link to all of those, including your Patreon, because I know for as creatives, that is really a lifeblood for so many. Um, so I will link to all of that in the show notes. So Lara, I wanted to thank you so much for uh, for coming on. This has been inspiring and motivating, and I am excited. <laughs> I want to talk to you more, but I also just want to go open this book behind me and start dropping in the, the weeks for the year and uh, think about what my first piece will be. So thank you so much for putting the time aside for this. Oh, you're so welcome. It was so nice to meet you and talk to you and um, to talk to your guests. Thank you. Thank you. Wishing you all the best of luck in 2022. Okay. Me too. Okay. Bye. Show notes, including everything Lara and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 74. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help surface the podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Be kind to yourself and each other, and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod. Music